giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robot Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Lindsay Christensen. And I'm your other host, Chad Pytel. Welcome to 2020, and thanks for listening. Woohoo! Happy New Year! This is where Tom <laughs> edits in some celebration. Yeah. Well, Lindsay, it's the new year, and a new year is often a time for setting resolutions and goal setting. Have you set any resolutions for yourself? No, I haven't. Thank you for asking. <laughs> I haven't either. Do you, R- really? Do you, yeah, no, I don't usually set resolutions. Do you? No, I don't. I try to do just ongoing, mm-hmm. I guess you could call them intentions. Someone else asked me this recently if I set a resolution. I said, no, but for me, I think a core thing I've been trying to focus on recently, like in the last six months or so, is like fostering more creativity in my life and having creative outlets. So that's the first thing that comes to mind for me in looking at the upcoming year is how am I going to create time and space and moments to be creative, especially outside of work. Mm-hmm. I usually don't set resolutions either. I'm a big believer in continuous improvement. And so making changes along the way is totally what I've done in the past too. But the you know, new year is always a time for sort of like reflection and that's what's happening. So I think one of the things that's been in the back of my mind is finding time and space to like have some friends and do things with friends Mm -hmm. because my life for the past decade and I'm not just talking about work thing like raising kids my kids are going to be 9 and 11 there's a little bit more space for things in my life that aren't them Mm -hmm. both with my wife and like outside of the house yeah did you have any uh, milestone birthdays recently (laughs) per chance (laughs) I've really been reflecting on on my life now that I just turned 40. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, it was just uh, Tuesday. Happy birthday. Thank you. So that's my goal. One of my goals, you know, just like personally believing in continuous improvement, we've taken that at ThoughtBot too. That's one of our core values is continuous improvement and working iteratively. And so we historically didn't set yearly goals or anything like that. Which is wild to me. Yeah. I never even knew what it was like to be at a company that did set goals because Mm -hmm. while I was in school, I did lots of freelancing. And before that, I, I was freelancing. I had an internship at a much larger company and I'm sure that they probably set goals and everything, but I was an intern. And so I didn't participate or have any exposure to that at all. So like, I didn't even know what it was like to be working at a company that sets goals. Yeah, and I think it's surprising because ThoughtBot has been around for so long and done so well. Mm -hmm. And outsiders, you know, myself or even other folks who have come on and, and heard about this have been like, how is that even possible that you continued to grow over time without setting these metrics and like having the team working towards them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's not to, so I think there's a difference between like goals that are explicit like this is a goal for this year and ambitions. Like we had ambitions, it wasn't like we weren't ambitious, but there wasn't a regular cadence of setting goals and there was certainly nothing like 
OKRs or mm-hmm. the, those kinds of things, anything that was really measured. Yeah. And I think in you know the companies that I've been in in the past, the high-level corporate goals, those are also very like explicitly related to like who are we as a company answering to? Mm-hmm. Is it shareholders, you know, Wall Street or investors? And there is, you know, actual meetings and calls with those mm-hmm. stakeholders where you have to uh, answer for for what happened and and explain why and where you're going from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because we don't have anybody like that, we weren't answering to anybody but ourselves. And I think there's a certain freedom in not setting explicit goals because you give yourself the freedom of succeeding or failing without accountability. And I still believe in continuous improvement. So like, as long as you are having time to reflect on what's working and what's not, and then taking action to improve things, I think that gets you pretty far. So inherent in this conversation is ThoughtBot has started setting goals. <laughs> we started um, two years ago. So we're going into the, the third year of goal setting. The first year was not as explicit as we are doing now with like real actionable measurable goals Mm -hmm. with things being very concrete and also the thing that is not just one level more intense probably but like many levels more intense is the budgeting and everything that we do right which is also new right so this is really only the second year where we've really done budgeting at the level that (laughs) It sounds crazy to say. (laughs) And I guess that the question in my mind is, and not having experiences outside of ThoughtBot, I don't know whether like the way we were doing it before is totally valid up to a certain size and complexity. And it's inevitable that every company needs to start setting more explicit goals and doing more explicit budgeting once they hit a certain size. I think so for sure. I actually question whether smaller companies don't also need the mm-hmm. the same goals and whatever wa- was that magic combo of the right combination of the the quality of the work that you were doing just natural sort of ability to recognize opportunities and seize them and the perfect mix of people working on it that was able to like sort of guide you through those years. Cause I think that's a, a big part of goals too is providing the right structure for the extended team to be able to understand what they should be focusing on so that they can be helping the company move in the right direction. Yeah. I think that that in any scenario where you're no longer responsible for doing the work you've delegated a lot of things, goals can be really helpful. And I think you can do it in a way, or we've tried to do it in a way where you're not telling people what to do. Like we're not setting goals that say, do this in most cases. It's just a high level, here's a thing we as a company want to achieve, or here's how we want this number to look. Mm -hmm. And within that space, each department and studio and person is free to work together to figure out what's going to work for them to do it. Yeah. So how has the goal setting exercise been going for you? Well, I think it's accomplished what we wanted it to accomplish, which is improving in the areas that we needed to improve in, doing it in a structured way, a a way that we can plan around. The budgeting has really helped us 
our numbers are big enough now. And the issue that we got into and why we started to do more budgeting is is the numbers are big enough now that when things weren't on track, they would get off track really quickly um, because the numbers are big. Mm-hmm. And so having budgets and having a revenue and an expense budget allows us to identify proactively when we're not on track for that and to make adjustments. Right. And sort of at the same time that the goal setting and the budgeting was being introduced, you know, also the sales practices were being more sophisticated. Mm -hmm. We brought on marketing and these things also inherently crave Mm -hmm. uh, goals and budget. Um, Mm -hmm. So as you're getting more serious about like looking at forecast and pipeline and how that's affecting the finances of the of the company, it makes sense that these other kind of practices are coming into play. I think the thing that has been difficult, both for me personally and for the team, you know, one, the first threshold was having goals at all and going through any sort of process of setting budgets and everything was all new to us. I think fortunately we added people to the team who had come from places or where, you know, it wasn't like we needed to win hearts and minds. It was just like the way it was done. So that was the first threshold. You joined right around the time where this was happening. So you actually came and you were like making a spreadsheet and being like, here are the goals and the metrics and and everything. And I was like, oh, this is great. This is what I want to (laughs) do. We hadn't even done it before. So like how different is what we're doing or what are the different like systems of goals setting have you been a part of in the past? Yeah, I think the two kinds of goal setting that I've used as frameworks are OKR, uh, so objectives in key results, and OGSM, objectives, goals, strategies, and measures. And the OGSM is the one that I like to use the most and the one that I think you're referring to and that I I still use with the, the marketing team as well. The idea being that you have this sort of tier of explaining, you know, what you're working on and why and how are we going to assess whether we were successful or not. So a high level objective or even higher than that, like a a vision for the, the company that connects to an objective you want to achieve as like a team, I usually do it. So like, what is our objective as the marketing team? And then that goes down into more granular goal buckets in each goal is connected to the strategies you're going to use to achieve those goals. And then finally, what measures are we going to look at to see if those strategies were successful in achieving the goals that we think are going to help us achieve the objective? Mm-hmm. Could you get more specific? Could you? Do you have some examples? Um, <laughs> you can bring them yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have my laptop here. <laughs> All right, so I can give you an actual example from our marketing OGSM from last quarter. So at the top of the spreadsheet, I have the ThoughtBot purpose, which is we believe there's always a better way to do our work and we want to find it and share it with as many people as possible. Below that, I have the marketing mission. What role do we play in this? So a big goal of this is also like answering the why for Mm -hmm. the team. So as they're in the weeds working on these things, uh, they're able to connect it to the bigger picture. And the marketing mission currently is to support sales and revenue goals so that ThoughtBot can continue to operate in a way that fulfills our purpose. 
and that grows the company so that we can fulfill that purpose at an even greater scale. So then getting into the actual quarter, one of the objectives we had is we actually did some account-based marketing uh, last quarter for the first time. So one of the objectives was establish ThoughtBot as a trusted expert in health tech. One of the goals then under that objective was engage relevant individuals at target health tech accounts. So that was a goal that we felt would help us achieve that higher level objective. Mm -hmm. How are we going to do that? So then we get into strategies, which we have a few of. But one of them was to host an online workshop uh, where we could kind of share our health tech expertise and actually connect with individuals who would be, be relevant to that. And of course, all of this is feeding up to that higher level mission of supporting sales. So mm -hmm. idea being, if we're doing some of these marketing activities, we'll be able to find some clients in this space. So then that specific strategy has its own measures. And then the, the measures start to get more granular. So uh, we want 100 registrants, 50 attendees. And then we've got actual target numbers for specific studios of reaching out to individuals that meet the criteria the, of the folks we are looking for. Then those each measure maps to a specific person so that they have, we have got ownership over it. And they might be collaborating, but we've got like the one owner. And then basically like status and notes on that as we're going along. And then take a look at that and as well as the rest of the, the goals at the end of the, the quarter and talk about how we did and what makes sense to continue, what did we learn, what's working, what's not, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I am leading the goal setting for two parts of the company, sort of like overall stuff and then the sales team. And I haven't been doing that. <laughs> what we've been doing is setting yearly goals or, or themes and then quarterly concrete, just you know, two to three, sometimes four, which is probably too many, measurable things that we are going to do. Mm -hmm. And overall, I think that that's been working well. But I'm, I'm curious, how do you think having like, two different ways, like what we've been doing on the sales team or the company-wide and then OGSM within marketing, mm -hmm. how has that worked? Would it be better if everyone was doing the same thing? I'm not sure. Maybe. I do like having it, you know, at least for my team. And I have gone away from it, actually, you know, over, mm -hmm. I've been here two years now, and we went away from it and had sort of individual folks had their individual goals. And I did see a problematic trend emerging, which was folks not understanding like how, how what they were doing was connecting to higher mm -hmm. level goals or even being pulled in different directions because of what I think was like probably like a lack of structure and really explicitly kind of writing things out. And also it's like a single view for the team of how their work is interacting with each other, mm -hmm. which becomes a positive. And I've done that at other companies as well. Even at companies where we'd have company-wide OKRs, my team would then have sort of a further built out OGSM. So it was almost mm -hmm. like another layer of detail. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's the right way. 
uh, it's been something that has really helped me uh, over the years, though. It's interesting that you said you found folks losing sort of the big picture about how they were. Because as you were reading the OGSMs, I was like, oh, that's really nice how it's tied back to the overall purpose, the overall purpose of the marketing team down to the individual things. And that would be one thing that I would highlight isn't automatically happening in the rest of the company. Mm -hmm. The sales team has a purpose, but we're working on setting goals without ever bringing that up and talking about it and making sure that what we're working on is aligned with that purpose. And the company has a purpose, but we didn't ever talk about that either. I think there could be something to be gained by making sure that the work we're doing is tied back to those two higher level things. Yeah, I think it can be helpful, not in the sense of like, all right, it's written out and shared with everyone so everyone gets it. A lot of times it's useful as a tool to be returning to Mm -hmm. like over and over again, Mm -hmm. being like, remember, these are how these things tie together and, you know, the end goal that we're working towards and why it's important and who owns what in like a single view. Mm -hmm. How much do you worry about getting the measurables or, you know, any one component of it and the goals that we're setting like wrong or right or exactly the right measure? Maybe I should worry about it more. (laughs) (laughs) I set something that makes sense Mm -hmm. as a direction and as a baseline. My thinking is that along the way, we're going to figure out how good that baseline was. Mm -hmm. But I think it can definitely depend on personality type. I think some people don't feel satisfied with that line of thinking, but that's my approach. And I do think you can drive yourself bananas if you set a number and you're not willing to kind of move away from the fact that that's a directional number. Mm -hmm. So I read a book that has a different goal setting strategy, but in that book, they make the point that most people and most teams and most companies are not doing basically anything. Everyone's flying by the seat of their pants. Yeah. And the biggest problem on teams and most companies is not making the wrong decisions. It's making decisions at all, that most teams have trouble making decisions and deciding and moving forward. Hmm. And so under that philosophy, they're like, it doesn't really matter what you decide because just deciding on something and executing on it is probably better than talking about it three more times to nail down the I find that very gratifying and... (laughs) affirms what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I was going to say almost to a fault sometimes too. Mm -hmm. I think I'm a big executor. I like working very iteratively. So one of the things that I have to force myself to do sometimes is to step back and take more of that uh, reflection and brainstorming time before moving into the the -hmm. next execution mode. Speaking of numbers and being able to realize that that's a directional thing and and maybe back away from a number or adjust, that is one of the things that I've struggled with as we've had goals for the first time. And I mentioned this earlier, like when you don't have goals, you're not accountable to anything. So you can be successful and great, 
but like ignorance is bliss. Like if you haven't set goals, you don't know when you're not hitting them. And that has been one thing that I think as a team, but also personally, I have had to come to grips with is like what it feels like when you could still be doing a good job, but you're not hitting those maybe somewhat arbitrary goals that you set out for yourself. It can turn what is otherwise a positive thing into like feeling like you're not doing good enough. Mm -hmm. And I do think you have to be careful about that because there are probably times where it actually really matters and there are probably times where it doesn't because you made up the number in the first place. And if you're getting all worked up over the times where it doesn't matter, <laughs> when it does, there's no difference. Like you have no way to escalate it or a way to treat it more importantly than mm -hmm. treating everything as important. So like at ThoughtBot, we've set a goal of reaching certain profitability levels, not from like we want more money, but because we like we need to in order to make sure we have the safety net and we're operating with enough margin so that if things don't go like we're expecting, we don't lose a lot of money. Mm -hmm. That's in a really important one. And it takes time to get there. And it feels not great when we don't hit that. That's different than like, oh, we set a goal of reaching out to 10 new people this month or something like that. When you get at 80% of that goal, that shouldn't necessarily feel the same as like that other important number, which is actually like really about a directional goal that is really important to hit mm -hmm. for the company. And it's hard. I, I've just found it hard not to take everything really seriously. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think a big part of goal setting that maybe sometimes gets lost is that retrospective after the fact, which is why didn't we hit it? And mm -hmm. like, what's the story of what happened? And is that story detrimental to the company or to the department or something really Im important? Or did we maybe have some bad luck? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, did something not great happen, but it was a learning moment? And now we actually have a really good idea of something new to try or some different kind of goal to hit the following time span and not having a goal be all end all, um, but an opportunity to learn about like what you actually need to do in the future. Mm. Some companies, I gather, set goals that they purposefully don't expect to hit. So they'll like, they'll set a goal for something measurable and they're saying like, we expect all of them to come in at 75% of what we're setting yeah, or whatever. Knowing that I'm having a hard time when we set real goals and don't hit them, <laughs> I, I'm not sure how I would survive in a world where you're expected to only hit 75% of the goal. Yeah, it's a weird dynamic. I've operated in those instances as well. I get it and also don't. Because <laughs> like on the one side, there can be like this this expectations set where people are like, well, yeah, I really only have to hit 75% of the mm -hmm. goal. So then it's like, okay, why didn't we just make that the goal in the, right. the first place? But then the other side, I think there is some proven value in stretch goals mm -hmm. and the fact that you can sort of squeak out higher results by setting something that is unachievable. Yeah, because you're raising the ceiling, basically, mm -hmm. and creating more room for people to achieve 
it's one of those things where that's not the kind of tricks that I like to play. It's probably part of the reason why I don't set resolutions or that kind of thing in the beginning. Like, it's not the kind of way that I approach things. Yeah. I mean, there's also, I think, to your point about, like, different kinds of goals. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a difference between not getting 50 people to the online workshop Mm -hmm. and not hitting the revenue that we need to pay people's salaries. Right. So, yeah, I think there's context there, too, Mm -hmm. in different levels of goals. Right. So... On the budgeting side of things, you know, this is also the first few years where we've done pretty rigorous budgeting and forecasting. I guess that's that's an important distinction to make is when we're talking about budgeting, we're talking both about setting budgets, but also making forecasts. And we really avoided doing that because we had the feeling that it was all made up and it wasn't based on anything. And so to make like a five-year forecast or something like that was like totally not worth it. Mm -hmm. And I still sort of believe that we have enough information where we could make that kind of thing, but the value of it would be pretty minimal. Like I think you can achieve that by setting some like high-level 10-year, five-year vision stuff and then focus on making a forecast for the upcoming year. And then that becomes the budget for what you're operating with. One thing I'm curious about is when we say budget, it's not like it's a hard and fast thing. It's not like we write purchase orders and like a request to spend a certain amount of money is going to get denied because we're over budget with Mm -hmm. that area. Have you been in an environment where that was the case? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that you have like a purchasing department. Right. And they will review your request and you have to, you know, use approved vendors. Right. All should that we fun have, stuff we we're on the that? other side of sometimes. Um, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. The Definitely the lack of budgeting when I joined gave me a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think the reason why it should give people anxiety is because if you don't know how much you're supposed to spend, it's easy to spend too much. Particularly, I think, in things like marketing. Yeah. Where you could basically spend infinite amounts of money. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I think marketing, well, I have a bias, but I think marketing was also people's default choice for expenses. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, this could be marketing. Mm -hmm. This is like a fun thing we did out around other people. Yeah, so things would be put in there that you wouldn't have necessarily chose as like we are explicitly doing this as marketing. Yeah, so I think we've been working more towards more formal marketing budgets and talking about what are they being spent on and are they aligning with the goals Mm -hmm. you know that we're talking about so that we're making sure that we're spending our money where we think there's the biggest opportunity. Is it helpful to have like guidelines where you say like this thing shouldn't be more than 10% of this thing. And I think I know the answer to this. So we'll we'll go down this road, but like the amount of digital ad spend shouldn't be more than X percent of revenue or something like that. I think that's one way to look at it. Uh, Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is like forecasting what you think the return is on the spend. Yeah which is the first thing I go to when thinking about budget and the different areas we're going to spend is like, 
back of the napkin, like where do we think that this is going to get us within the year, let's say, as like a loose mm-hmm. loose time frame. Yeah, that's what I thought the answer would be, particularly when it comes to like digital ad spending, because you should be able to say, well, we spent this much on digital ads and we think we brought in this much business as a result of that. And there should be a point in that equation where you actually say like, we spent more and we increased it. So let's keep on spending Mm -hmm. until we show that that's not the case. Right. Yeah. With digital marketing, it's a lot easier to draw that line between this was spent and this is what came in. Especially, I think for us, we've mostly spent in areas where it's promotion that's kind of like end of the buyer's journey. So where people are like ready to engage with us as a service provider, start a sales discussion. Of course, there's things that are like more top of funnel. And I think we're actually trying more of those now. So it's going to get mm-hmm. it's going to get trickier. But yeah, then you have other items that are more around like event hosting and participation, which are more like long-term relationship nurturing. And those definitely get trickier to have like an ROI number on it. And this is like the process we're going through right now, thinking about what do we think this engagement can can get us um, and how is it helping us achieve our, our goals? Mm-hmm. One of the areas related to that that I definitely struggled with as we grew is that when we were 20 to 45 people, was able to just um, make decisions based on like gut and the ramifications of getting it wrong. The number of those decisions just wasn't that big. So I could do what seemed reasonable, like, oh, this is gonna cost another thousand dollars or this person is relocating from this area because we're hiring them and we gotta pay for their relocation. Okay, fine, no problem. But as the number of those things increased and I could no longer hold them all sort of in my gut, you start to like make what would historically have been reasonable choices, but then it's like a thousand dollars here or there becomes like a thousand dollars a hundred times over. And then it's like, I just accidentally spent a hundred thousand dollars over the course of the year that we weren't supposed to spend. Right. And that transition from being able to operate from my gut to no longer being able to do that caught me off guard like I lagged on that decision and so you know I think it's mostly okay to be doing that when you're small but if I had to do it over again I would understand that that curve exists and try to be in front of it Mm -hmm. that reminds me so I'm curious to get your thoughts on the use your best judgment Mm -hmm. motto which has been used at ThoughtBot I don't know if it was ever an official position it was It was principle zero. And how that has evolved over time. Um, Because use your best judgment when I think about it is always related to budget. (laughs) So that's a good example where use your best judgment is great. And it essentially amounts to everyone operating on their gut when it comes to budget stuff. And that was okay when everyone sort of had all the information and the ramifications of any one thing probably weren't that big. But as we grew, not everyone had all of the information all of the time. And again, 110 people making 110 individual decisions might not add up to the decision that we needed as a company from a money perspective. But that wasn't the reason why we stopped saying use your best judgment. The reason why we stopped saying use your best judgment is because 
but we heard from people when they joined the company and would ask a question and I'd be asking for advice or how to do something or whatever. And they would get the answer, use your best judgment. They were like, what, what does that mean? Like, you've just been completely unhelpful to me. <laughs> like, I was asking because I didn't know. And I'm asking for your advice as a person who's been at this company and who, who's like, I'm looking for mentorship and guidance. And, uh, and when you just say, use your best judgment, it's not helpful. Mm-hmm even though they would understand the, the sentiment. It's like, I understand the sentiment of we have self-management as one of our values, and I really appreciate that, but like, I was really asking for advice, yeah. and I would like it, please. I've also heard that use your best judgment isn't inclusive, mm-hmm. and that folks from underrepresented groups have not grown up being told to use their best judgment and they're much more hesitant to make decisions that people in privileged groups are, you know, very confident making. So then that actually perpetuates that dynamic of the privileged people continuing to make more and bigger decisions Mm -hmm. and the underprivileged folks feeling more restrained because of like what they've been told really from society their whole lives. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it was people who were underrepresented that were the most vocal about how that wasn't working for them. And, you know, I really try to understand people's perspective because I think it's a natural inclination to be like, no, our value is self-management. And if you can't do that, and if you can't respond well to using your best judgment, being told to do that, then maybe you don't belong at the company. Like that is completely the wrong way to approach when people who you know belong at the company and who are aligned with the kind of company we want to be, when they're telling you something about how they feel about anything, you have to you have to listen and you have to try to empathize with that and where they're coming from and realize, yeah, this comes from a place of our values, but the people who can execute on it most are maybe the people who have been historically privileged and are most comfortable doing that. So how do we support everyone to live the value and not just like say, use your best judgment? I don't have all the answers. The first thing we did was trying to stop saying that, and we removed it from the handbook. Our list of values used to be called principles, and so that was principle zero, like the one that all the other principles were founded on. Um, So if you can change principle zero, you can change anything. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And um, the great thing about, I hope lots of teams, but particularly Thawbot, was there wasn't resistance to changing that like we created a a github issue we explained what people's perspective was and why it was an issue and people looked at that and said i understand so let's find ways of doing this now you know you've been at the company for a couple years now you probably have still seen people tell other people to use their best judgment oh yes and that really goes to show that like these things that are like there or part of your culture or part of a saying that people say, like really do stick around. I've come to believe, and this is true for like goal setting or um, other things that you're trying to change at a company or things of equality or whatever, you almost need to, in order to really have an impact, you need to overcompensate 
because without overcompensating for something that has been wrong or an injustice, you won't overcome the status quo. So I think we're talking about things like budgeting and goal setting at the same time as talking about diversity and inclusion kind of stuff. But the idea that if you don't really sort of try to do things, you're just perpetuating the status quo. And I think that that's one of the benefits of goal setting is like it it makes it explicit that you're not just perpetuating the status quo. Those two things, continuous improvement and goal setting can live in the same world. Yeah, I, I think continuous improvement probably is the connector between those things, the mm-hmm. you know, the work to be done on diversity and inclusion and also how we've moved forward with, with goals and budgeting. And I think ThoughtBot does this in an amazing way. I I can't go back now to any other way <laughs> of working, which is just really diligently, discerningly looking at how are we operating, how do we do better, and never saying like this is what we do, this is the way we operate, period, but always being willing to to try something else. Yeah. Well, should we wrap it up? Yeah. <laughs> okay. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode and all of the other episodes at giantrobots.fm. If you have any questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. You can find me on Twitter at Lindsay3D. And me on Twitter at CPytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thanks for listening. See you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, New York, San Francisco, Austin, London, and Raleigh-Durham, let's build something great together.